guys. Welcome to another episode of Horror, Wine, and Crime. Uh, we are your hosts, Lo. And KK. And KK. And I just want to tell you, um, this is our first Zoom we've ever done. KK is not feeling her best. And in case she's got the vid, um, I told her she was never allowed to come over today. But, she, <laughs> but just today. Just today. We're, yeah, keeping the distance for the safety of uh, the health. <laughs> Um, but it was funny because you were doing the countdown to tell me when the recording started and you did the finger thing. And the whole time I'm like doing the iCarly theme in my head, like right after you did it. No, me too. I was, that's what I was singing in my head. I was like in five, four, three, two. And then I wanted to sing, but I didn't, I refrained. <laughs> um, so Crystal, um, have you ever got beaten with wire hangers? Um, you know, very happy to report that I have not. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night to clean a bathroom that was already spotless? Only in my nightmares when I was, um, you know, working for the cleaning service. Um, have you ever had a grandmother that locked you in an attic for a long time? Like a mom too, that locked you in the attic for a long time? With no. siblings? Not, not that I can recall, but you know, those all sound like horrible things. I can't imagine anybody doing that to anybody else. Well, um, funny you should mention, um, we are honoring these moms today for Mother's Day. Oh, happy Mother's Day to the, to the gems, the gem moms of the world. (laughs) We're so twisted. (sighs) Um, I know he's not a mom, but, um, what up Dax? Hey Dax. Maybe this is the one that you found. I don't know. Chris, uh, we could say happy Mother's Day to Kristen. We'll shout her out this episode. KB, what, what? Yeah. I saw. Um, Oh, I was going to say, I saw you were uh, your little picture um, of the scoreboard with the, you called it like Dex vibes and everything. Oh, yeah. My daughter had a game at Wildlife Central. Yeah. And uh, I'm just like, whew. This is where he went to high school. I was just looking around, taking it in. And then I thought, okay, I should probably watch my daughter's track. You're like, I'm distracted. I can't focus. <laughs> um, I did watch. I don't know um, what y'all watching new um, besides the Johnny Depp trial. But um, I watched a series called uh, Okay. Um, you just leave that in there uh, <laughs> called unsolved um tupac and biggie and it's actually a detective series uh starring josh jamal which hey hey mm-hmm. um and um it just goes through like how it you know spoiler alerts unsolved um but it <gasps> just it, it starts as like Pac and Biggie how they started as friends and then turn enemies and hows and whys and like so many people were involved in twists and turns and Suge Knight and oh my god just like but the guy I think his name is what they say it was Mark Rose I think that played him it looks exactly like Tupac like exactly I'm just like yeah, you te- you texted me earlier and I Googled it immediately. They had him, they had two pictures of him pop up. It, one was just like of him as himself and then the other was him in character. But he looks like 
literally like him. Like I'm like, wait, is that him? Because once you put the bandana and the nose ring in, you're yeah, sold. Sold. We jinx. (laughs) I'd say you owe me a coke, but uh, since Kay is uh, feeling down, um, I'm not having her drink wine with me today. So I'm going solo and it is crown and coke tonight. Smooth transition into that. Nice. <laughs> I respect that. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lowe's enjoying the drinks for the two of us. I got a my big fat water bottle here, but that's about it. <laughs> um, so last week we asked you guys um, for a trivia question. Um, in Pet Cemetery, what type of vehicle hits Gage Creed on the highway near the family house? Oh, and what was what was that answer? That answer, which was answered by Emily Johnstone. Oh, from- oh good job. <laughs> uh, I didn't even tell you where she was from. Oh, sorry. I I jumped the gun there. <laughs> sorry, Emily. She uh stole your moment anyways i tend to do that (laughs) now phoebe's stealing your moment emily (laughs) this is not meant to be okay so (laughs) emily is from lincoln park michigan Woo! good job emily wait did we hear the answer oh did i yeah (laughs) did i not tell you wait did you say it i don't even remember guys my brain's not here today (laughs) I mean, oh it's not God. here. It's not here most days, but like, especially today. Maybe I didn't say it. It was a truck. Okay. I feel like you didn't say it, but maybe you did. Okay. And I just missed it. I probably didn't. It was a, uh, was like a big truck, um, like a Some... rig. Oh, okay. Nice. Remember he's chasing his little balloon or ball. I don't know. I have a hard time watching it, but it's so sad. Have you I'm... seen pet... pet cemetery? Yes. Okay. okay. I'm not going to lie. When you said the answer, I was like, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> I'm like, not. I'm just, I'm not. Great. How Gage died. What? How Gage died. Oh, okay. I thought. <laughs> okay. We're going to get on with our stories before people start. Uh... <laughs> and I'm not even the one. I'm not the one drinking. Okay. For all of you people who may not know, um, Joan Crawford um, was a pretty big actress in the 80s, probably even earlier than that. Um, but uh, in my eyes, she was probably biggest known for Mommy Dearest. And this movie, um, it was in 1981. It was an American biographical drama. Um, it was directed by Frank Perry, and it's based on her daughter's perspective, uh, Christina Crawford. Um, she was adopted by Joan Crawford. Um, it portrays Joan as an abusive and manipulative mother. Faye Dunaway, who was an amazing actress, um, she plays Joan Crawford. And then Diana Scarwood um, plays Christina Crawford as the adult. And Mara Hobble um, plays Christina Crawford as the little girl, which I thought was so she was so adorable oh my gosh and she oh just makes me sad and like the things she had to go through as a child actress even though it was just a movie yeah honestly can't even can't even imagine she's just paid to be get abused this movie um it was alienated by critics like 
Um, they did not like it, but the fans like embraced it. Um, it became a point of contention, I guess, among like where everybody involved in making it um, from the novel. Um, it was just, I don't know, it was very, it was portrayed to be a very difficult movie to make. Um, Faye Dunaway, shockingly, playing Joan Crawford, who was probably not easy to work with, became hard to work with. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was reading. I'm like, she was not everybody's favorite person on set. I feel like a lot of people had issues with her. Yeah, and we're going to get into that. Um, so Anne Bancroft um, was originally attached to the star. So according to TMC, uh, the graduate, she played Mrs. Robinson, was set to play Joan Crawford until she read the story and the script. And she's like, I'm out. Like, did not want to do it. <laughs> she's like, too much for me. Too much. Can't uh, can't commit to that. A little, little yeah. heavy for her, probably. Um, in 1981, a clip from the Southeast Missourian um, reported that Faye Dunaway received vocal coaching from old Blue Eyes himself. And if you guys don't know who that is, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. I didn't know you wanted me to say it, but I knew. <laughs> um, so when she would lose her voice, um, she would call him and he'd come on set and help her kind of get her back to where she needs to be. Um, she didn't do a lot of singing, but she did a lot of screaming in this movie. Lots of screaming. So um, he would spend 15 minutes with her and helping her uh, get her voice back on track. I mean, if there's anybody you want to help you with voice training, I feel like Frank Sinatra is a really, uh, really solid option. I'm going to go with Lady Gaga. Yeah, I mean, personally, <laughs> I might not choose him, but I feel like um, well, seeing that he's not like, too shabby. And he's like kind of like dead. That, would, that wouldn't be an option <laughs> now for me. But, you know, <laughs> uh, next time you come over, I'm going to have you sing and start spreading the news. Okay. Um, spreading the news. Or you can do it now. Oh, yeah. So according to the inside the actor studio, Crawford once said, only Faye Dunaway has the talent and class and courage to be a real star. So obviously these two ladies were two of a kind. Wow. Um, yeah. So in the interview um, called Gay City News. Ooh. I'm- I'm just reporting it. I'm not writing it. Um, Cute. <laughs> Rutanya Alda um, recounted that her uncomfortable experience with Dunaway um, when Jocelyn Brando, who played the journalist, uh, saw me go down after Faye hit me. She said, I can't afford to be injured. I just spent six months in the hospital, Alda recalled. Initially, Frank wanted both me and Jocelyn to pull her off with Diana, um, again, who played Christina, but Faye was so out of control and said, no way. We did it in maybe 10 takes and Frank got to deal with it because Faye wasn't going to change what she was doing. I got knocked down maybe twice. She hit me so hard in the chest. Now that was like her little, uh, when she was living. Yeah. But the lady that was talking about it was like, her the tutor live in the little the... live in help oh oh okay her yeah her maid or whatever yeah that was yeah that's insane she uh 
she had some anger to get out, I guess. Yeah, that's when I think she came back to visit as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And she like tackled her to the ground when that reporter was there or whatever. Yeah. Dang. Uh, so Faye, uh, she actually hated how Mommy Dearest turned out. Um, as reported from The Guardian, uh, Dunaway couldn't stand by the movie. It was meant to be a window into a tortured soul, she said, but it was made into a camp. She later said that, later said on the inside actor studio that I feel uncomfortable with that persona, that as a result of Crawford picture, it was kind of a kabuki performance. Hmm. So she was expecting it to be more serious and people kind of. Not that it wasn't serious, but like it was very dr- dramatic. It came like a more of a cult classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christina and her memoir um, said that, you know, a lot of this outrage was based on a true story. And um, so even when Kathy Crawford, Christina's sister, noted, it makes her very sad. Every time Mommy's name is mentioned, um, that book is mentioned. Um, all they do is remember mommy from mommy dearest. Um, she doesn't want to give it any more publicity than it's already had. Even when people say or write good things about my mother, it's the book that gets linked to her name. And it's so unfair. And I wanted to look up when, um, the extra sisters came because in the movie, it only talks about Christopher and Christina yeah, the other two were never even shown so, at all. I don't know how much the age gap is because it makes me think that if they were that big of a difference in age, those two wouldn't have seen what Christina went through. Right. And her and Christopher backs her up. So like, and he was the one that was there with her. Like, yeah, so. If it was complete false and BS, like why would he say that about his mom like I just feel like yeah those other two must have just been younger and didn't deal with what Christina had to deal with maybe she changed her ways you know by the time she adopted those two right sure um so the idea of the freaking out over wire hangers stemmed from Joan's childhood in the documentary mommy dearest Joan lives on Interviewers recalled a story about the infamous line that came from apparently Crawford's mother who worked at a dry cleaning during a very difficult time and Crawford's life growing up, uh, thus triggering the bad memories, Crawford's thought process, why have them in her home if they could afford better? Um, So Hmm. it sounds like Joan Crawford's mom wouldn't let her have them and that was a trigger so she kind of yeah she was having like a moment and then I feel like it just when she saw them it like completely flipped her flipped her mood upside down but what like, I mean what an iconic scene <laughs> I mean yes new wire hangers you, makes you feel poor I don't know but... yeah I have wire hangers I also have plastic I don't know which is worse <laughs> in comparison like I, those are the I two do say I, I like the plastic better than the wire just because I don't know. They hang better and I don't get the creases sometimes in my shoulders, but I don't know. Yeah, I do prefer the plastic, but I don't have like, you know, fancy fabric or whatever. I don't know what fancy kind of hangers. We will. One day we will. One day we'll have the fancy hangers 
whatever those I'll, are. I'll buy you some like the black velvety ones. Oh, uh, yes, those fancy. I will. Uh, I'll buy you some for Christmas. We'll have like some silk covered hangers, <laughs> some porcelain hangers. Um, so according to the uh, village voice, uh, the star decked herself out from head to toe to look like the actress in order to Im- impress Yablins. So when Yablins saw what looked like she was back from the dead, um, I guess by this time, Joan Crawford must have passed away. Mm. Um, standing before his eyes, he almost had a heart attack, um, according to Michael Musto. Um, why is Christopher strapped into the mommy dearest bed? So My you- thoughts exactly. <laughs> I know you're kind of questioning that when we were watching it. I was like, why is he like strapped down? So at night, she says her brother Christopher was strapped into the bed with a canvas harness to prevent him from walking to the toilet. Oh, um, so did. So in the movie, it has them read her will. And Chris and Christina are appalled when they hear that Christina Crawford and Christopher got like nothing like what a horrible move first of all this lady abuses them and like is horrible to them throughout their childhood and then when she dies they don't even get like anything in her will that she has and she has a ton of money yeah she left two million dollars in her will so on october 28 1976 less than a year before her death she made a new will she left 770 I'm sorry, 77500 to each of her adopted twins, $35,000 to her longtime friend and secretary, Betty Barker, and a smaller amount of few other people. Oh, my. I mean, listen, I'm glad that her, like, lady that was with her for all those years got something, but not, I mean, I just feel like that's horrible that she just completely cut out. Yeah. Christina and Christopher. What a way to say F you, you know, as you're going out. <laughs> like, what a true way to say that. Which I feel a lot of it was just jealousy towards her daughter. Yeah, I think so, too, because at least from what the movie portrayed, you know, Christina would get, like, attention. Or even when she was just, like, in the mirror, like, practicing lines or whatever, it would, like, piss Joan off like so bad and it's like why are you so mad about this like she's like are you making fun of me yeah like she would get so triggered by she's it like no mommy I just want to be like you right most I feel like most people would be like oh that's so sweet that's so cute but not not Joan Crawford before she died in 1977 Joan Crawford reportedly said that if a movie were ever made from her life Faye Dunaway was the only actress who could do the role justice. Um, I'm assuming Mommy Dearest was probably not the uh, movie that she had in mind for her to play about her life, but uh, but at least she got the actress that she wanted. And I feel like it was fitting. I feel like they were each other's spiritual animals. Right. Yeah. Like, I feel like they kind of went uh, hand in hand, had similar vibes from what it sounds like. <laughs> Um, Rutanya Alda, who played Joan's long-suffering assistant, Carol Ann, came out with her own tell-all book last year about production on uh, Mommy Dearest. It's called The Mommy Dearest Diary, Carol Ann Tells All. 
Uh, she has nothing but praise for Dunaway's performance, but she says that the star would routinely upstage her. And she also says that Dunaway held nothing back during the knockdown drag out sequence, uh, kind of like Lowe was talking about. And she also claims that Dunaway was a terror to nearly everyone on the set, even to multiple Oscar winning costume designer Irene Sheriff, who came out of retirement just to do this role um, to style Dunaway for it. And I guess Sheriff walked off the film for the first time in her 45 year career, just out of frustration. Um, Elda quotes Sheriff saying, you can enter Faye Dunaway's dressing room, but first throw a raw steak in there to distract her, <laughs> which I just ah, love. <laughs> yeah. Pause her out. I just love that because I'm like, that is hilarious. And you have to know like how bad it had to be probably for this woman to be doing this for over 40 years and to literally the first time ever leaving, walking out and then saying this publicly. <laughs> um, so other weird things kind of, happened on the production pages from Faye Dunaway's script went missing on more than one occasion and so did some of her costumes Um, and an entire reel of film went to the developer and came back blank so people were kind of wondering you know was Faye involved in doing this like did she not like some of her scripts did she not like her costumes like because it was just weird that it was only happening to like her scenes and nobody else's after a month of release uh, paramount recognized that viewers were coming to see mommy dearest for its camp value and treating it like the rocker rocky horror picture show um shouting back dialogue and even bringing their own cans of cleanser and wire hangers so it was like a fun time to go to the movie to see that uh, i guess <laughs> come is- one come all bring your burrs keeper cleaner and Right? I would like throw it on yourself, throw it on a neighbor, (laughs) sprinkling it all over the place. Uh, I would would like love to see that play out in a movie theater, but it's also kind of sad just because (laughs) that's not what the movie was intended to like be received like. But um, yeah, like even Christina Crawford doesn't like the film. She called it an enormous lost opportunity when it came out in 1981. She complained that it should have been made more from her point of view than her mother's. Um, She said they made a Joan Crawford movie, which, you know, I definitely agree with, but it may not have turned out to be the very well-known, popular, iconic movie that it kind of is today. Yeah, and I bet you Faye Dunaway had a little bit of a, a push to make it about her. Oh, for sure. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I'm not about her, like making her the star when I say about her, you know? Right. Yeah. Making it more so focused on her. So she had more, more uh, role in it. Joan Crawford. I mean, she didn't have the easiest life, but I don't think she had, you know, as bad as she gave her daughter. Yeah. Um, sorry. I have a mic drop moment. Literally. <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> So Crawford, uh, she was born Lucille Faye Lasser. She was born March 23rd, 1904 in San Antonio, Texas. She was born to Annabelle Johnson and Thomas E. Lasser. Um, he was a laundry laborer, which I'm guessing that means AKA dry cleaner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fancy um, way to say it. Right. 
Um, so by the time she was born, um, her parents had already had separated and she had three different stepfathers. So obviously her mom was pretty busy. Uh, um, yeah. It wasn't an easy life. Uh, Crawf- Crawford did have to work um, some min- min- mineral, mineral, oh, mineral, like, like mineral small jobs. jobs. Yeah. So, you know, she was a good dancer and perhaps seen um, dance as her ticket to her career show business. Crawford was determined to succeed. So shortly after arriving, she got her first bit part as showgirl and pretty ladies um it quickly followed through the 27 through 1928 you know a few small bit parts um she did land a role of diana medford and our dancing daughters in 1928 and that movie like elevated her to star status so by that time she'd cleared her first big hurdle um the 30s progressed and crawford became one of the biggest stars at mgm by early 40s, um, they were no longer giving her plum rolls. Uh, newcomers had arrived in Hollywood and public wanted to see them. So Crawford said peace to MGM and went to the rival of Warner Brothers. Um, in 1945, she landed her role of a lifetime, Mildred Pierce, um, and it gave her an opportunity to show her range as an actress. Um, I wish I could say that I knew what these movies are, but I really do not. Me neither, <laughs> sadly. But uh, she was, you know, very driven to her career. Um, she would choose her roles very carefully. Um, in 1952, she was nominated for her third time in her movie, Myra Hudson in Sudden Fear. But this time, um, the coveted Oscar went to Shirley Booth for Come Back Little Sheba. But she took it well, too. Oh, God, I can't <laughs> imagine. <laughs> so Crawford's career slowed after that. She appeared in minor roles in 1962. And then, you know, she and Betty Davis, um, they co-starred in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which I love that movie. I have not seen it in probably 10 years, maybe longer. Um, I used to watch it when I was little. Um, my mom would watch it. So I remember like watching it with her, without her. Um, and it was just a very, you know, 60s thriller, another, you know, another kind of like psycho, the birds type feel, you know. Nice, love it. Yeah. Um, so their longstanding rivalry, um, it helped fuel her. Um, she received well performances early in the career, Davis said of Crawford. She slept with every male star in the MGM except Lassie. Dang, shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then Davis says, well, I don't hate her. Even though the press wants me to, I resent her. I don't see how she built a career out of a set of mannerisms instead of real acting ability. Take away the pop eyes, cigarette, and the funny clipped words. What have you got? She's a phony. But I guess the public really likes her. (laughs) they went at each other yeah they just uh ooh, catty no shame in their game <coughs> sorry man crystal gave me the vid through zoom bless you okay. i don't know if that was a sneeze or a cough <laughs> it was a, a cough i was trying not to i think oh. you got me you got me the vid through through, through the zoom. <laughs> it came through the microphones i knew i should have put the laptop six feet away Dang. <laughs> Um, Crawford's final appearance on the silver screen was a flop, which turned her 
to turn more to vodka. Um, and she was hardly seen after that. On May 10th, 1977, Joan died of a heart attack in New York City. She was 71 years old. Um, she did disinherit her adopted daughter, Christina, and son, Christopher. Um, and in the book, the tall book, Mommy Dearest, they talk about that. Um, it was published in 1978, and the book kind of cast Crawford, you know, in a negative light and was a cause for much debate, uh, particularly among friends and acquaintances, um, including Douglas Fairbanks Jr., uh, Crawford's first husband. And then in 81, Faye Dunaway, um, who did well in the movie, and the movie was a box office hit, but she uh, she disagreed, I guess, even though she did the movie. But I think she was just such a fan of Joan and they were friends, you know. Yeah, that she didn't love probably the way that it was portrayed. Yeah. Um, Crawford was also laid to rest in the same mausoleum as fellow MGM star Judy Garland, which is in Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, New York. Um, so you don't see it in the movie, but uh, Joan had also adopted uh two other girls um aside from christina and then her brother christopher um so christopher he was more like his older sister and was estranged from his mother at the time of her death he died in 2006 um both kathy and cindy denounced mommy dearest along with the 1981 film um naming the star Faye Dunaway and any allegations of abuse that Christina depicted in the memoir. Sadly, Cindy died in 2007 at age 60. Um, in 2020, Kathy died of a long battle with lung cancer. Um, and she was 72. Um, but before her death, Kathy spoke with long length to Crawford's biographer, Charlotte Handler for Not the Girl Next Door. And in the book, which was published in 2008, Kathy claims that although she grew up in the same house as Christina, her older sister's book embarrassed her and the twins. Um, and just goes on to say how it makes her sad that this is how her mom is remembered. But I feel like I don't know what the age difference is. And I wanted to look it up and I forgot to go back um, just because they weren't in the movie. But I think I it was like- nine years. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Okay. So I feel like a lot of the abuse, you know, happened maybe as they were little, so they didn't see it that Christina had already went through the brunt of it. Um, and Christopher, but I don't know. Um, or maybe she just treated them different. I mean, a lot of parents sadly treat each kid differently, you know. Yeah, that's what I think. Like I don't I don't think they, you know obviously went through anything that Christina did because otherwise they would, you know, stand by Christina's side. Um, but I do think it it's interesting. Like it puts them in like a weird position. Cause like they obviously stuck up for their mom because they viewed her in like a very positive light, but at the same time, they don't, they weren't in the room with Christina and like, you know, they, they didn't witness that stuff. So like they really shouldn't, discredit things that their sister's saying happened to her but I get that it's probably like a tough situation to be in 
And maybe Christine is the only one that got the brunt of it. Like in the movie, it didn't show that Christopher got a whole lot of it, but he witnessed what his sister went through. So he stuck with his sister, you know? Right. It have been enough for him too. So maybe I feel like a lot of it is just jealousy towards Christina, like because she was beautiful and smart and talented and Joan was losing her looks and her acting ability. She was aging and getting older you know, people were wanting newer actresses. So I feel like her ego got the best of her and she just treated her daughter like shit, especially yeah. the more she drank. Right. Yeah. Cause she was going through a hard time anyways, at that point, like with her career and with her, you know, relation, like she got a divorce obviously. So I think all that compiled together just kind of made her crack and she took it out on poor little Christina. Yeah. So instead, Kathy had nothing but fond memories of her mother. Um, She remembered her for her role in whatever happened to baby Jane and a woman's face, you know, some other good movies. Um, She also said that they were disciplined. They had to do chores at a young age. Yes. Was it before they could even reach the sink? Yes. But she just thought it was raising them to be responsible. Um, She also stated that she remembers when she did something wrong, she had to stand in the corner um, she doesn't remember it being, you know, that big of a deal. And then she says, there are times when I didn't want to eat my dinner and, you know, mom didn't make me eat it, but I didn't get anything else to eat that night either. I did go to bed without dinner, but it wasn't that terrible of a punishment. Um, she disagreed with Christina on so many things that she took her to court for defamation um, from the movie Mommy Dearest and Christina main that Cindy and Kathy were not twins, but the Crawford adopted the two girls who looked alike for publicity purposes. Which that's so funny. I don't mean to laugh, but like, oh my gosh, that's twisted. Like, like it is. But if you adopt them as babies, I mean, unless they were older, like how you know what color their hair is going to grow into be right. That yeah, and they could look like so completely different. I don't know. That's so funny. Like yeah. Um, but she maintained that her eldest sibling made such claims for the crass commercial purposes that Kathy won the suit of $5,000 in damages. Um, Kathy is survived by her two children, Carla and Casey. <laughs> Fucking C's. All the C's, um, and It was so she kept up tradition and kept the same letters going as Crawford started. And uh, hopefully they find some peace with their mom's legacy because yeah, yeah. it's just a crazy story yeah yeah the five thousand dollar gets me too it's funny <laughs> um yeah so christina crawford uh she was born june 11th 1939 to teenage parents she was later adopted by the screen legend joan crawford um, and she was actually originally named joan crawford jr Uh, But when she was 11 months old, she was taken to Nevada where she was formally adopted by Joan and then eventually renamed Christina. So Joan kind of changed her mind on the junior part. Um, I've never heard a girl being a junior. I know. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I don't hate it, but yeah, I don't know. It's just different. Yeah, definitely different. Um, But yeah, it's funny because if she was, you know, jealous of her, it's just kind of funny if she was going to name her, you know, her junior. Um, but I guess her early life was one of the happiness living 
with, you know, her mommy dearest. Um, so she felt like she had a really good early childhood. When she was three, her mother married Philip Terry and they adopted a baby and he was originally named Philip Terry Jr. So they were going with a theme there. Um, but after their divorce, she changed his name to Christopher Crawford. Um, I wonder how old he was when she did that. Yeah, I don't know. Because I don't know how many years apart Christina and Christopher are. I'm just saying I'm hoping that he was a baby. Like, right. Like, and his name wasn't just changed, like, when he already learned, like, if his name was Philip. Yeah. <laughs> She must have been, uh, you know, really scorned to change her child's name just because of, you know, her divorce. But um, by Christina's account, soon after the divorce, things started to change at home. Her mother started giving her tasks around the house, like doing the dishes. Um, But Joan also sometimes assigned her to things to do that were physically impossible to do at that age. In the mornings, everyone would have to walk on their tiptoes and whisper um, so that they wouldn't wake Joan up. And around this time, what Christina calls night raids started happening, um, such as the infamous no wire hangers ever seen depicted in Mommy Dearest. Um, And these raids would sometimes last for several hours. And when Christina was about nine, that's when Joan adopted the twins, Kathy and Cindy. Okay. Um, Soon after her mother decided to send her to the prestigious Chadwick School, a boarding school in Ranchero Palace Verdes, I guess, um, you know, Christina didn't really want to go. But then also just cherry on top, Joan only sent her with like two outfits and like one pair of shoes. And I just think that that's horrible Um, for like the whole semester. She only had two outfits, like one coat and one pair of shoes. And like Joan was like, you know, well off. She could have obviously gotten her more clothes. And while she was there, she was caught with a boyfriend unsupervised. So Joan flipped out, as you kind of see in the movie as well, and transferred her to a Christian private school um, or excuse me, a Catholic boarding school um, until she eventually went to college in Pittsburgh. Um, She... Went to college one year, but then she started doing acting jobs and she was in this like um, TV soap opera called The Secret Storm in 1954. No, my gosh, I keep getting that confused. I guess it's called The Secret Storm 1954, but it was in 1968. That just keeps confusing me (laughs) every time I say it or read it. Um, But Christina actually had to have surgery. because of she had like uh cysts growing on her ovaries um so while she was out recovering from surgery joan who by at that point she was well past the age of 60 she stepped in for christina and played her 28 year old character on the show um which I just think is kind of funny because like they could have gotten any 28 year old to play this role, but Joan of course stepped in while her daughter's like in the hospital, like trying to recover. And I'm sure that's the last thing Christina wanted was for her mom to like step in as her character's role. And I, I watch it and I'm just like, Oh my God, like to imagine laying there and like my mom can't be here and emotionally support me. 
and help me feel better in the hospital. Instead, I have to lay here knowing that I may lose my role to my mother. God. And it was like, I feel like that was her biggest role so far. You know, it wasn't a huge role, but like for her, that was her biggest role at that point. And like to have her mom like upstage her in that way while she's like in the freaking hospital and she already has this like contentious relationship with her mom. It's just, uh, yeah, just crazy. <laughs> um, when Joan Crawford died in 1977, like we had said, it, you know, made headlines that Christopher and Christina were cut out of her will. And so that's when Christina wrote Mommy Dearest. Um, and then the movie obviously got turned into the, or excuse me, the book obviously got turned into the movie. Um, and shortly after that, Christina suffered a major stroke um, from which she thankfully recovered. And since then, she has lived in northern Idaho and operated a bed and breakfast and continued writing, which fun fact, <laughs> very unexpected if you would have asked me what she was, you know, doing after that, but you know, good for her. Sounds like a nice relaxed uh, life probably after all the shit craziness that she dealt with growing up. So that was kind of like, you know, a look into uh, Christina's life as well. Um, But yeah, just craziness overall with that whole relationship. Kind of sad that, not kind of sad, extremely sad that she went through all of that. And then that, you know, she had struggles with her younger sisters not believing or agreeing to it either. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about it. So if their sisters were born when Christina was nine, the time their sisters can even comprehend anything, we'll say give them like five. By that time, Christina is 14. 14. I had to do fast math on my fingers. <laughs> Same. Um, I went. <laughs> and then the time that they're like 10, Christina is like 19, almost 20 years old, probably moved out, going to school. So a lot of that abusive stage, they were not around for the first 10 years of her life almost. And then the time they were old enough to even comprehend anything that's going on, they were still little. So it could have been easily right. And not for- in front of them, because I'm don't get me wrong, but I'm pretty sure Faye Dunaway had some nannies to help her, you know, so. And probably a big house worth lots of separate rooms. Yeah. And they could have been treated differently. You know, I feel a lot of it might've been just jealousy. Like I said, towards Christina, you know, she was getting the life that Faye Dunaway had or wanted, or, you know, just whatever. Um, so I feel like, I don't know. I'm kind of on Christina's side. It's more believable, you know? Oh, for sure. I, I am with you there because, and she was, and she was away at the boarding schools too, when she was like, I don't know what age exactly she left for those, but like, so she wasn't around a lot when the two younger sisters were growing up either. So I feel like a lot of it happened before she went to those boarding schools. And so the girls obviously had no idea, like they couldn't comprehend things. And I just want to give a shout out to Myra. I think they said her name was uh, that actress to play Christina as a child um, because the scene where she's getting her hair chopped off and she's just bawling her eyes out like, mommy, stop, mommy, I got to go to school. Mom, I can't go to school. Like this. It took a lot for me not to cry because I'm just like, oh, my God, like 
Yeah. And then like when she's like crying in the bathroom and the, you know, powder cleanser is being thrown all over her after being woke in the middle of the night, like just for having wire hangers. Yeah. And then like, get up, clean this bathroom. You know, they'll be held to pay tomorrow if it's not spotless. And she's like, it is spotless. And she starts throwing the cleaner everywhere and just like, oh my God, like it's making it way more freaking dirty yeah, than it like even the, was. The tears and the crying and the pain that this little girl had to act. She did. She did so good. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. And like the, another scene I think of is the, the garden tree scene where she like storms out there in the middle of the night and just starts trying to chop down this tree and like chop down all of her like plants. And she like yells for like the nanny maid lady and the kids to all help her. And like, it's like the middle of the night woken up from sleep and she's making these children like chop down trees with her, like as she's She's, having like a fit of rage. And she's got like scratches all over her face and stuff. Oh my gosh. From the thorns. Yeah. Just insane. So it is, um, it is a crazy movie and it is a sad story, you know, um, that anybody had to go through that. And it's, it just always goes to show, even as an actress, um, you never know what's going on behind closed doors, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So, um, moving on to our other mother of the year, um, gosh, so honestly um, two two mothers of the year in this yeah <laughs> shit um I remember s- this story um I saw the original movie when I was little I think it, I said I was like seven eight um and then I read the books as an adult and that's when I had my WTF moment because I'm like whoa that's not how I saw the movie okay <laughs> like so um, we're going to get into some craziness of uh, B.C. Andrews, Flowers in the Attic. Yeah, I read this in school, in high school. In school they had you read this? That's what I'm confused about. I don't okay. know if I'm having a weird shift in memory moment, but I really feel like I read this in ninth grade and then we watched the movie. Okay, well, we're going to dig into it and then you can see because I feel like this should not be as cool. I know, yeah, I I know what it's it's about. And and I'm like, why would they have us read this in school? So I don't know if I'm getting Are you sure you were just like a kinky little weirdo and read it yourself? (laughs) I don't know. I mean. (laughs) Okay, not that it's kinky, it's just weird, but. I mean, yes. Okay, so Flowers in the Attic is a 1979 graphic novel by V.C. Andrews. And the book, the first book, it's the Dalleganger series and it's followed by petals in the wind if there be thorns seeds of yesterday guard in the shadows christopher's diary secrets of foxworth christopher's diary echoes of Dalleganger, and christopher's diary secret brother now i did not get through all those i didn't even know some of those even existed Lots i did the of fir- them <laughs> i did the first three and then i was like okay i can't do this anymore um <laughs> so the novel was written in first person point of view from kathy and it was twice adapted into films, one in 1987, and then it was also rebooted in 2014. Now, I'm very critical and very judgy um, about remakes, so I don't believe I watched the remakes because I don't like them usually. A few of them have 
slid in there. My daughter did make me watch the reboot of Footloose. I did kind of. That was good. I liked that one. Um, again, I think the Kevin Bacon one's my favorite one because that's what I seen first and grew up on. But they did not do a terrible job of that one. Yeah. Um, but this movie was crazy for me because I was seven years old when it came out. And I remember watching it and thinking like, holy crap, this grandmother was like the meanest woman I've ever seen. Um, the mom was horrible. Like just the things I've done. I was like dumbfounded, even as a kid to be like, whoa. Yeah. That's when, you know, when you, when you get it as a kid, you're like, um, what the heck? Yeah. Um, and what does my mom recommended me watch? <laughs> So Kathy was played by Christy Swanson, which I love her, loved her in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, Don't get me started on my co-host with that. Um, (laughs) I've heard, I've heard. She's not seen it. Uh, Well, I'm going to get her there, people. I'm going to get her there. I will, I will get there one day. Um, Me and my friend Danielle, we went to see that movie like five times in the theater. No joke. (laughs) Um, I went with my cousin Jennifer to see it a couple times and just thinking like, I love the movie. And also back then, it was like Luke Perry was on fire. It was like right after his 90210 stage. So he was just like the, you know, oh, I still had the pitter patters when I go back and watch Riverdale with my daughter. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, So going back and watching this movie now, um, it's pretty different. So if you've never seen this movie, read the books, let me give you a quick little synopsis of it. So in 1957, the Dalaganger family, Christopher, ding, 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 Christopher, Corinne, Kathy, Carrie, and Corey. I didn't even think about that. I didn't either until I'm saying it. <sighs> Both our stories are all C's. Whoa. Wow. Jinx. I'll drink some more of my Coke in a minute. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, they live identically in this Gladstone, Pennsylvania, um, until house, until Christopher senior is killed in a car accident, leaving Corinne in like this debt and no means to support her children. So dad dies and mom can't afford life anymore. So they pack up and they go live with grandma. But before they go, Corinne explains to the children that as a young woman, her marriage to Christopher was offended her multimillionaire father, Malcolm Foxworth, that disinherited her because, um, well, we'll get into that in a second, but um, the, he's dying of a heart disease and Curran intends to return to her childhood and basically move to Virginia and win back her father's affection um, before he dies and be reinstated into his will. Uh, because Malcolm is unaware of Corinne had children by her marriage to Christopher, the children must hide in a secluded upstairs room for the uh, amount of time that they're there and they cannot come out or, you know, anything um, until Corinne can break the news to her father. She assures her that the children, that they will only be in the room for like a few days. Okay. So like, um, dad hates you, or I'm sorry, grandpa hates you. You have to earn his love. You can't be heard. You got to win back his trust to be in the will. He could die at any day, but maybe not but it's only going to be a couple of days. You're going to win it back that fast. Yeah. Good I luck. Mean, good luck. 
okay. So you're gone like 20 years, but she can fix this in three days. Got it. Um, so, she was ambitious. <laughs> so at Foxworth Hall, Corinne's mother called the grandmother is how they refer to her. Um, locks the children in a bedroom that is also connected to a large attic. Um, the grandmother forces Corinne to reveal to her children that the reason of her disinheritance was that Christopher was Malcolm's younger half-brother. Gross! And and thus makes Corinne half-uncle. And the children are products of incest. Um, The grandmother believes the children are the devil's spawn and is obsessed with the idea of incest forbidding all contact between opposite sexes. So while forbidding the children from making noise or opening rooms to the, uh, the windows in it, um, only in the attic are they free to play. Um, they cannot, in the movie you'll see like, it's gotta be the boys in one bed, girls in the other bed, even though the twins wanna sleep together, they're like, Ooh, girl, if you get caught. Um, Sounds like the grandma's the one with the problem. <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, Kathy and Chris attempt to make the best of the situation. Um, they buy decorating the attic with paper flowers to create this imaginary garden for the twins. Uh, the grandmother comes every morning with a picnic basket filled with the day's food and interrogates the children about their modesty um it's just like oh my god shut up give us our food and leave please yeah like go Uh, away (laughs) um so questions the children are too innocent um to fully understand like what's going on initially uh the mother visits multiple times per day bringing toys and gifts but over time her visits grow to be sporadic um After months have passed, Kathy and Chris confront her as she promised they would be freed in only a few days. Corinne finally confesses that they must remain in the room until their grandfather dies. Um, So now it's a year later. Kathy and Chris have both entered puberty. Um, While the twins are stunned from the adequate nutrition that they're getting, Um, and lack of sunlight with no other outlets, Kathy and Chris develop a romantic and sexual attraction towards each other. Yeah. Maybe the grandma did have something to worry about then. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you guys have only been there years. Yeah, right. And I feel like, you know, they were old enough to know that that's not normal. (laughs) Yeah. so uh I do sorry I like how it went from the mom being like oh it's just gonna be three days to like a year (laughs) yeah at this point um they do their best to deny their feelings uh grandmother catches Chris staring at his half-dressed Kathy um and punishes the children by cutting off their food supply for over two weeks and also, ding, ding, ding. Wow, this is so crazy because I didn't put a lot of the stuff together, not only the seeds, but in this movie, the grandmother freaks out on her and chops her hair. 
and cuts it into like a pixie type lots of here. connections here yeah I'm, I'm just i'm just now seeing them too you're getting this as we're getting it man yeah okay. dang um must have been that time that time frame the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. that was the thing that was the thing to do chop your daughter's hair off yeah because this said it was in 57 okay um, it, i mean it came out in the 80s but yeah so and i think mommy dearest we said it was in the 50s too wasn't yeah it? yeah about that time dang yeah so um i am not putting any of this stuff together so on the verge of starvation Kathy and Chris decided to escape with the twins to find help. Before they can go through with the plan, grandmother be bring, begins bringing food again, including a rare treat of powdered sugared donuts. Uh, soon afterwards, all the children begin to complain of constant minor illnesses. Um, grandmother is like the closest thing to the devil. Okay. Yeah, sounds like um, it. So she, uh, Kathy had this little ballerina and it spun and it made noises. And it was like the last thing that her dad had got her before he died. And grandmother had a hissy fit of some sort and just like smashes it off the fireplace or whatever and breaks it. You know, Um, funny thing is, you know, she's like thinking all these kids are like going to hell because of whatever the mom and the uncle or whatever, but she's the one who's for sure going. Oh, (laughs) granny granny's the one who will be uh down there um i mean she poisons the kids she chops off kathy's hair like um but uh carrie that girl's a savage okay because in the movie she walks right up to the grandmother looks up at her dead in the eyes and just like screams from the top of her lungs and then of course grandmother picks her up by her head doesn't the and, little brother after and the corner comes to save her? Yes, he he goes to bite her ankles and then he gets like smacked across the face. I think I don't know if he flies across the room or whatever, but oh Granny looks cold at Curran and says, "Control your children." Oh my and, god! Um, whatever. And then of course Curran's like, "Thanks a lot, you guys." You know, making them sound like the brats. Uh, sorry, not sorry, Granny. You had it coming, you bitch yeah. with a bun. Okay, she had it coming. Uh, bitch with a bun because she always had a bun in her hair. <laughs> I know, it's just like how you phrased it. Um, so another year passes after the absence of several months. Current comes to visit the children, explaining that she's been on this, you know, fabulous European honeymoon, um, with her husband, Bart Winslow. Kathy and Chris are furious, but. Corinne will abandon them permanently if they confront her. Now, in the movie, um, she wasn't married yet. I think she's just saying, I met the guy and they went on vacation because in the end of the movie, they interrupt the wedding. Okay, gotcha. So it's not, it's a little different in the book. Yeah. Uh, Realizing that the twins' health is declining, Chris and Kathy decide to escape. Uh, Chris creates a wooden skeleton key, and over the next several months, um, he and Kathy take turns slipping downstairs to the mother's suite to steal cash, jewelry, whatever they can find, um, just to, so they can have funds when they get out. One night, Kathy discovers her sleeping stepfather and kisses him, which is 
weird. Interesting. Um, okay. <laughs> Chris learns of the kiss. And again, this is in the book. This is not in the movie. Um, Cause as an adult, when I read the book, I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. This was not in the movie. Mama showed me. Um, so Chris actually rapes Kathy in a jealous rage after learning about the kiss. Um, afterwards he's overcome with remorse. And while Kathy feels guilty and conflicted, um, about the act, um, she still loves Chris. Hmm. Don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) Just, um, I'm glad they took that out of the movie. <laughs> uh, Corey becomes deathly ill. Kathy begs Curran to take him to the hospital, but Curran hesitates. Kathy is enraged and tells her she does not save Corey's life. Kathy will reveal their existence to grandfather. Curran finally takes Corey away, but returns the following morning to inform the children that Corey had died of pneumonia. The children are devastated, and Kathy is left wondering if Corey's death was God's punishment for her sexual encounter with Chris. Um, no, it's due to your mother and grandmother are very horrible human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Chris resumes stealing from his mother's rooms only to discover Corinne and Bart have left Foxworth Hall permanently. Eavesdropping on the servants, Chris learns that their grandfather died a year ago and that grandmother has been leaving food contaminated with rat poison in the attic. Um, due to the mouse infestation. So when they see that the mouse were dying too, they kind of figured like they're eating the same thing that the kids are eating. Um, Chris connects this with the donuts and realizes that Corey died of arsenic poisoning. That's so awful. Um, The three remaining children finally leave Foxworth Hall to catch a train to Florida at the station. Chris reveals he discovered Corinne's inheritance and is conditional upon having no children from her first marriage and she'd rather than the grandmother was the one who most likely poisoned them chris and kathy decided against contacting the authorities as their main concern is to stay together but kathy vows that one day she will make corinne pay for her crimes um as she should so in the movie the kids do escape Corey does die sadly um i can say when they showed the plots of each one of the children's that like when they buried him, they showed like three other plots. Like they were just waiting for each one of them to die. I was just like, Oh my God, that's pretty chilling for me to watch even as a kid, you know? Yeah. um, But I mean, mom, let us watch some dark shit. So I mean, (laughs) come on. Um, It it led you to where you are now. (laughs) This podcast. podcast. It's not Um, the podcast. Um, but Kathy and Chris, um, in the movie, they actually interrupt the wedding. Um, when Chris learns that grandfather had died and all that stuff, he goes back up to report it to Kathy. And then they're like, you know, no, we're getting out of here. F this. Um, so they show up at the wedding and Corinne's playing it off. Like, who are these kids? I've never seen them before in my life, you know, making it sound like. I'm pretty sure she makes it sound like they must have escaped like the hospital down the street or something like that. Oh I my feel God. Like, like they're like psych ward kids or something or like s- sick. Yeah. Um, so like this epic ending, Kathy's like, here, mom, you want a donut? We saved it for you. Come on, <laughs> take a bite. 
And <laughs> as she shoves it in her face, they struggle and bam, bitch goes down, <laughs> hanging herself in a wedding dress. Uh-huh. I sound like Tatum. I love it. <laughs> I tried to say it like Tatum did. Bam, bitch bam, went down. Bitch went down. Super Sid. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Bam, bitch went down. Okay, sorry. My daughter's been on a screen kick for like the last 50 weeks. And, um, <laughs> you could probably quote the whole movie at this point. Pretty close. She's on anything that Matthew Lillard's been in. She's been watching it. He's a 52-year-old man that my 13-year-old is in love with. I keep having to remind her that he doesn't look like that anymore. Like, Yeah, he looks very different. But I will say, I, I do love him too. I think he's freaking hilarious in everything he does. Oh, yeah. Um, but... Um, I'm also more closer to his age, so, um, but I will say she's sorry, side note, I'll get back. Um, she's been watching, uh, without a paddle. So that's kind of funny. Um, oh, good one. Uh, At least she's and, kind of moving on to another one, unless right. she's still watching scream every day. And it's got our homie Dax in it. So it's okay. Right. <laughs> um, so all the kids walk outside, getting their fresh air and freedom. Um, so there was some controversy in this um, story. Um, so the depiction of the incest between the adolescent brother and sister in the novel um, has led it to being banned in certain areas at different times. Um, so Char- Charaho high in Rhode Island removed it because it contained offensive passages concerning incest and sexual intercourse. Well, apparently Macomb High School, let's you read it, in Michigan. Um, <laughs> I have and, to really think about this because I really thought I did. Um, in 1994, it was removed from Oconee County, Georgia, um, out of their library due to the filthiness of the material. Oh. In her original pitch, the letter to the publisher, Andrews claimed that the story being a novel was not truly fiction, um, leading to the longstanding rumors that the novel may have been based on true events. Um, for many years, there was no evidence to support this claim, and the book was passed off as fiction. Nonetheless, the official VC Andrews website claimed to have contacted one of Andrews' relatives. Um, this ad- unidentified relative claimed flowers in the attic was loosely based on a faintly similar account while at the university of virginia hospital for treatment she developed a crush on her young doctor and his siblings had been locked away in the attic for over six years to preserve the family wealth okay Um, so a little bit of truth yeah a little bit of something to it Um, V.C. Andrews was 63 years old when she passed away. She passed away in 1986. She was born in 1923. Um, And then I'll just go over a quick little few fun facts. Um, Hopefully you guys are still troopers and sticking through this long podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Listening to Um, all the crazy mothers out there. (laughs) um, And yeah, you're going to go home and hug your mothers tightly (laughs) and saying thank you so much for not being crazy. I Unless you it. got crazy moms, then write us in and tell us your crazy mom stories. Yeah. And, <laughs> we would uh, love to hear them. <laughs> can you top what these guys have gone through? Is that better? Is you know, if you can top these, we will do a whole episode on yours, <laughs> and we will send you a little something. Oh, for um, sure. 
and, your troubles. In 1983, Andrews told Twilight Zone magazine, I wrote the book in two weeks. However, she also once claimed she wrote it in a single night. I like to amaze my editor and tell her that I wrote it in one night. I did. I plotted the whole thing in longhand. It was 18 pages, and then I typed it in the 90. So really, who knows what's true? <laughs> she doesn't even know. Um, Andrews told writer Douglas E. Winter, when I wrote Flowers in the Attic, all of Kathy's feelings about being in prison were my feelings. So when I read it, I now cry. Uh, while dedicating the best-selling book to your mother is a sweet gesture in most cases, the move is a little eyebrow-raising um, given the actions of the mother in this book. Yeah. Um, actions of a few people. <laughs> William Belk was um, one of the American hostages held captive in Iran for 444 days. Um, he read the novel four times and hailed it as true representation of the emotions involved with extended confinement. Um, if you read that you can understand the flight a little better and what it felt like in Iran, Belk said, Andrews was reportedly very pleased to hear this. After Andrews met her editor and Patty in person, sweet breakfast treats were on the menu. Flowers in the Attic fans um, we'll know that the poison donuts played an important part of the book. Fortunately, Patty took Andrew's dark humor in stride. Um, after the movie version was approved in the 80s, um, horror legend Wes Craven was the original screenplay writer. Um, he planned to direct it. And as you might imagine, Craven's screenplay was extremely graphic and violent. Um, because they were shooting for PG-13, Craven was replaced although producers decided to keep Craven's ending, which is a little different from the book. Um, she played, V.C. Andrews actually played a maid um, that you can see very briefly washing the windows in the 1987 version. And according to the editor, Anne Patty, Andrews always told her that the core of the story really happened to a doctor she had once had and she had been in the hospital for a spinal surgery. I guess that some aspects were true, Patty said. At least the aspects of the kids being hidden away, whether the trends were real, um, the sex, the time frame, probably not. I think it was just a concept of the kids hidden in the attic so a mother could just inherit the fortune. Dang. I mean, hopefully that that was the only truth to it, that all that other stuff didn't happen. But made for a good, uh, a good book and a good movie. <laughs> also, I just looked up the cover, and I don't. Maybe I didn't read this, but I'm so confused on which book I actually read that I confused with this one. I don't know. I'll have to update <laughs> if I ever figure it out. But yeah, I can't imagine a. Uh, them showing this well i mean school. maybe the maybe the 87 movie because it doesn't have the sex and incest in it for um, some reason what i'm thinking of i have seen flowers in the attic movie but the one i think i'm thinking of that in school i don't know it was like an old lady and like a boy and like 
she like gave him some type of inheritance thing. So I don't know. I just got it confused and I'm very determined to figure out what I'm thinking of. <laughs> hmm. A boy, was a mom and a boy and inheritance. Uh, it was like an old lady. I don't know that. Oh, I don't know okay. what relation they had, but anyways, was it know. like Norman Bates? <laughs> no, very different. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to quickly read you, you guys, your trivia question, and then uh, we will let you guys be free because you're probably tired of hearing us talk. Um, so in the movie, Let Me In 2010, Owen and Amy communicate through a wall using what method? So in the movie, Let Me In in 2010, how do Owen and Abby communicate through the wall? Ooh, I don't know this one. I don't think I saw this movie either. Let me in. Maybe I did. It sounds familiar. But you guys let us know and we'll shout you out. We'll shout your name out at the beginning of next week's episode. And also, please, if you have a horrible mother stork, whether you find it funny or horrible or anything, please email us at horrorwineandcrime at gmail.com. I would love to read these. Oh my God. Um, it would be amazing. We could share them if you want us to, or if not, we could just enjoy them ourselves. Yes. Um, I am thankful that my parents um, were not like this. I will say my mom did break a wooden spoon on my sister once um but it didn't even hurt and we kind of started laughing so it like really just broke the moment of anger anyway um defeated the purpose yeah so (laughs) that's pretty much the extent of abuse that we endured from mom and it wasn't even me it was my sister (laughs) i probably thought it was extra funny she's the She's the Christina Crawford and you're the Cindy. What was her? What was the younger one? Cindy Lou Who. <laughs> Cindy Lou Who. <laughs> oh, man. Crazy. These crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> I think we're losing Crystal. She's uh, she's had some issues with the giggles today, um, but <laughs> I can't get this filter off my <laughs> Oh, my video it's been stuck on there you guys don't know this but as i was reading some of the stuff she was changing her filters um and it was making me try not to laugh Sorry. and now she's got one stuck on her and she's got like a plant growing out of her head with these i don't even know what's on her face i don't know what they i have no idea what i can't tell you what these are she's been quarantined for one day and she's already losing it I'm having PTSD from the last time I had to stay in my house for too long. I'm like, no, not again. <laughs> well, hopefully my KK gets better. I haven't seen her in a week, and now it's probably going to be like another week before I see her. Oh. Um, we're hoping to move stuff into our house next weekend, hopefully, possibly, maybe do some cleaning. And I'm thinking that maybe KK conveniently got this because I requested her next weekend. She's trying to get out of cleaning with me. No, off! I'm coming. I'm coming to help. Um, but you guys have a wonderful day because you're going to be listening to this probably Sunday night or Monday morning. 
Yes. And uh, hug your moms tight if you have a good one. And if yes. you don't, then just like, you know what? You ain't getting a card because you wasn't a good mama. So facts. Nothing. And we will be back with fresh, fun, new story next week. We can't wait to get into that one. Um, that one's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That will definitely be a fun one. Switching gears. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's going to be on. Just told you I wasn't going to tell you what it is. So <laughs> you have to log in to see. Psyched him out. You psyched him yeah, out. I did. All right. Well, on this note, um, we got to go like a long time ago. <laughs> Stay creepy, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.